You're listening to Straight Shooters, a straightforward golf podcast that'll straighten out your game. And here are your hosts, Keith Bennett and Henry Statina. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Straight Shooters podcast. I am your host, Keith Bennett, joined by the other host, Henry Statina. And uh, we're here to talk to you about everything, improving your game, getting better at golf, having more fun on the golf course, and, and really just enjoying the game for what it is. And I think today's topic really encompasses that. But before we get into it, Henry, what's going on? How you doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, just getting the day off to a, a, a good start. Got a day's worth of lessons. Going to be a little bit indoors today and then uh, heading out to the golf course for some player development. Have a full book and uh, just looking forward to this conversation. Uh, for those that maybe don't know, what uh, what is your job title? What do you do on a daily basis? Yeah, so I I work for the New Mexico State University's PGA Golf Management Program, where I'm primarily responsible for player development and instructor development. So uh, we're down here in New Mexico, the southern end. We have great weather, so uh, four golf courses in town. We utilize them for various activities, um, but we get to play golf year-round. We also have an indoor facility with track man and pressure mats and video analysis. And so we're utilizing that, um, doing everything to help our our students become better golfers and then also um, helping them to become better golf instructors. And, and we do some of that through PGA Junior League and PGA Hope, going to various, uh, various schools and conducting PE classes uh, for golf. And so uh, it's, it's quite enjoyable. Um, working with college students, working with kids in the community, teaching them golf and teach, teaching them to teach golf. Nice, man. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. Obviously, you're working with a group of, uh, of individuals, young aspiring golfers and, and golf instructors who are committed to getting better. So, you know, that environment, that energy must be must be pretty fun to be around, um, you know, all the time. You got a lot of people who are just kind of ready to soak up information and are, and are there because they've committed to learning. So you kind of know that they're, you know, where their mindset's at almost you know, before they show up. Yeah, it's kind of like a melting pot for golfers. I mean, people come from all over the country for the program. Um, and uh, like you and I could probably both relate, we were probably one of only a few kids in high school who played the game at, at a high level. And then um, got here and there was a hundred others who were all in the same situation and um, the the uniqueness of it and, and the friendships that are developed um, are second to none and being on a university campus where learning is is the norm and experimentation and research um, it's just kind of a cool atmosphere great energy for for talking golf for learning for um, teaching the game and hopefully harvesting uh, that similar like mindset in the students so that when they leave here, they go on and, and they do what you and I do. They teach golf. They're, they're invested in their communities. They're trying to help players get better. They're exploring the various avenues and, um, and just trying to, trying to make the game more enjoyable for all. I hear you, man. Well, that's awesome. Um, I know I enjoyed, you know, I met you down at, at New Mexico state um, my last couple of years down there at college. So, you took the job just as I was uh, kind of leaving, so to speak, had a couple of years left, but um, yeah, man, it's a, it's an incredible place. And uh, if anyone's interested in, in a career in golf, it's uh, it's the best university to go to perfect weather for golf year round, uh, tons of tournaments and, and uh, a D one college program that, you know, sometimes will offer the possibility of walking on. So it's cool. But uh Let's jump into the topic today. I think this topic will help, uh, you know, your students and my students and just everybody listening. And we're talking about uh, managing expectations, expectation management. And that phrase, those two words have kind of become a little bit more popular and a little bit more talked about recently, you know, especially with the the popularity that Scott Fawcett and his decade uh, golf management system, course management system, as it's gained more traction. Um, But I don't think a lot of people really understand what managing your expectations means. So 
for you, Henry, what does it mean when you're on the golf course and you are properly managing your expectations? You know, that's probably the best question of all. And um, like a lot of people, you know, I, I had a very skewed understanding of what I should be doing on the golf course. And honestly, that, that lasted up until my uh, late 20s when you basically introduced me to, to Decade. And um, after some heavy, di a deep dive into what Decade was all about, looking at the numbers, having some good visual representations and, and starting to understand that what we see on TV during a PGA Tour or LPGA Tour broadcast is the highlight reel. Right. Uh, we're seeing the best shots being played by the best players in the world when they're at their best. They're right. only showing the players on the leaderboard. And right. so we're we're not getting a true picture of what the average players in that field are doing. We're not seeing the missed putts and um, the poor approach shots. We're not seeing the shots that are going wildly offline. And so we tend to believe that we are to hit the ball really close to the hole. We're to make a lot of our putts um, and, and basically play this level of play that's completely unrealistic, even for the best players in the world on a regular day. And so um, I was always of that understanding and it was very frustrating when I didn't achieve it. And so um, I think that it caused for a negative mental spiral during a round of golf where a round was probably going along just fine, but I basically had to get in the way and, and uh, self-sabotage it because of my expectations being so out of whack. And so after having been exposed to decade and, and what's real and what isn't, I have a much better way of, of managing my expectations to where during a round of golf, I know about what I should do from various situations. And I also know that um, there's going to be a, a higher success and a lower success rate based on that to, to, to average things out. And so I'm, set, I'm far more patient with myself and um, I don't get upset as easily. And it allows me to maintain a, a, a more level headedness throughout the round to where on a lot of occasions towards the end of the round, as I get better and better into a group, I can actually perform well at the end rather than tailing off doing some kind of self-sabotage. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what you said there, I can really, really resonate with. And I can also speak to my own game in that I just simply had no idea, you know, what, what a good shot was from various situations. Like what, what is a good shot from a hundred yards in the fairway? What is a good shot from a hundred yards in the rough? What is a good shot from, from behind a tree from 150 yards, like is advancing it 40 yards in the fairway, a, a really good shot or, you know, is having to thread it through the needle and up onto the green, because that's what you saw on TV that, you know, somebody in the lead was doing, or, or, you know, they kind of quick, they quickly cut to somebody who's in 50th place who hits a miraculous hook from around a tree in the gallery to 20 feet and then makes the putt. Um, you know, the golf channels, the, the, the broadcast is like the ultimate highlight reel. I mean, it, it almost casts this, this image of the golfers as if they're like, they're on some other stratosphere. They're on, they have some secret and they're getting some sort of coaching from these elite coaches that allows them to do these things that we just don't have access to. And like you said, it, 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 it brought upon this incredible impatience on the golf course. Like I was trying to force the ball to go in the hole from 40 feet instead of understanding that two, two putting from 40 feet is an incredibly good result. You know, trying to force the ball in the hole from 10 feet, you know, trying to, trying to take on these, these hole locations from a hundred yards that are a few paces from the edge of the green and short siding myself and making bogey when I should have just been content with a par, you know, all of those things that I understand now. And now that I see, I see a golf course for what it is. I see these hole locations for what they are. I understand what a good shot is from certain situations. It's almost like now I have the cheat codes. Like now I'm, 
now I'm like just seeing how easy the game can be if I don't try to force the issue and I don't try to do anything that I think I was supposed to be doing. Um, and, and how much more relaxed I am. And like you said, there's no more downward spiral. You know, if I started making a few bogeys or things that trying to press the issue and, and I get out, got the train a little off the tracks, you know, that could turn into five or six more bogeys by the end of the round versus now I understand, all right, let's just steady the ship. Let's make a few easy pars here. And the birdies are going to start to come, you know, at some point, because I understand I average, you know, certain amount of birdies around and, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I think for me, it just came down to memorizing a few key stats from certain situations that really don't change year after year on the PGA tour. And so I can kind of ground myself in those stats and then take a look at how close I hit the ball and go, Oh yeah, that was a good shot. Or that was, you know, this is about average. And that really just kind of settles me down and allows me to just stay in the moment. And something else I've really learned to do is just not really try to assess my performance mid round, you know, play the holes, get the ball in the hole until I run out of holes. And then at the end of it, go through my stats uh, collection process and then let that tell me how I did, because we're all so bad at judging our performance. We tend to give ourselves the benefit of the, of the doubt on stuff that we've been kind of working on. And then we tend to be really harsh on ourselves uh, in areas that we aren't that aren't, aren't really that underperforming in. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. For me, it was the wedges. Um, yeah, I always was told or thought that I needed to hit my wedges to, you know, five feet from the hole. Right. I was supposed to get up and down from that range. And, and then, you know, when I realized that that wasn't the case, that a, a tour player hits about 80% of their wedges or hits the green and regulation 80% of the time from about 75 to 100 yards, I, I realized, you know what? My whole idea of never missing a green from that distance is completely false. And yep. your proximity to the hole, um, you know, averages out to about 24 feet when you include fairway and rough. And, and so I realized, you know what? Five feet is unrealistic. It's completely out of the norm. That's the shot that we see on the highlight reel. Right. And so if we know that a player is hitting it close from that distance, we also need to realize that they're also hitting it very far from the hole to get to those averages, you know, 30, 40 feet from the hole is, a, is, is within a PGA tour standard. It's certainly not a good shot, but it's something that's within their capabilities. And so by getting upset with something like that is going to completely deteriorate around. Um, yeah. I love what you said about don't assess mid round. I mean, the, the, the first hole of the day, I, I could miss the green with the wedge. I mean, I'm kind of cold. I might be nervous. I'm a little anxious. And I might miss the green with that wedge. And if I get upset with myself, guess what's going to happen on the next shot? It's going to cause more anxiety, more um, turmoil. Whereas if I allow myself to complete the round, who knows, maybe I hit a few close later in the round and things average themselves out. But if, if I don't give myself that chance, we'll never know. And I'll probably just continue to self-sabotage. Yeah, exactly. And just to repeat some of those, you know, tour pros are missing two out of 10 greens from 75 to hundred yards in the fairway. You know, they're missing the green from 75 to hundred yards. And a lot of golfers that I play with in pro-ams and in playing lessons are dropping their eyes down to the ground, shrugging, you know, slumping their shoulders, dropping their golf club, you know, berating themselves audibly when they miss the green. And these are the best golfers in the world on the best conditioned golf courses in the best weather, typically with the best equipment custom to them. And they've been hitting these shots their whole lives and they're missing two out of 10 greens. And, and the average golfer, that 25 handicap, the 20 handicap, I mean, they're probably going to be missing eight greens. You know, they're going to be missing seven greens. That's just how it is until you get your, you know, until you get your ability to strike the center of the face, control your low point and control your face and path up to, you know, start to increase that. But those numbers just blow me away. And I was a, I was a complete idiot in college and growing up thinking that I needed to stuff every wedge shot. So like I said, we, you know, we'd take on whole locations that were way too close to the edges of the green, especially in tournaments, because they don't put them in the middle of the greens in tournament situations. They typically put them on the edges of the greens. And 
if I hit it to 20 feet, I'd be trying to like force that 20 footer in the hole. Cause I would say, all right, I just blew that shot from a hundred yards. I got to take it. I got to get this hole somehow. Uh, and that took me out of playing one shot at a time. You know, what I should have done is just sat there and go, okay, now I've got this 20 footer. It's uphill right to left or uphill left to right. You know, what, where do I need to aim? What's the speed? Where do I need my focus to be? And that, this is a whole new shot. Um, but that's that part about waiting till after the round to assess your performance. I was assessing myself mid round and feeling like I had to perform to a certain standard, which took me out of the present moment and into more of the results oriented process focus. And obviously we know that, you know, that's not where your best golf comes from. Uh, and, you know, looking at these proximity to the hole numbers in the fairway from 75 to hundred yards in 2021, PJ tour, they averaged 18 feet proximity. So that means, like you said, they're hitting shots to 24 feet, 30 feet. Yeah. They're hitting some shots to two to two to five feet, of course. Uh, but that's not the norm. And from the rough, I mean, that number goes up almost, you know, basically 10 feet, it, you know, it goes up to 27 feet from the rough proximity to the hole from 75 to hundred yards, 20, seven feet from the hole that means they're hitting some to 40 feet that means they're hitting some you know those they're missing the green all that sort of stuff uh you know so just for me understanding a couple of those key stats like i think 100 yards is easy to memorize you know 150 is easy to memorize just some just a you don't have to memorize them all but just a few so when you're from that yardage you kind of go okay you know I don't have to stuff this to a foot. I don't have to take on this whole location that's over near the water. Uh, and there's wind pushing the ball that way. You know, I don't need to do that. Uh, I just got to get this thing on the green 30 feet would be a great result. You know, maybe not the best, but Hey, it's better than hitting in the water. Um, and so I think that that's, a, that's, that's what I wish I had known a while ago that I know now that really has helped me is that even if I don't make birdie from a hundred yards, I really don't care anymore because I know it, you know, it's going to average itself out over the course of a season. And, uh, you know, thinking about these things over the course of a, of a season, I think is way more manageable than, you know, just thinking about it over the course of a round, right. We, you might not make, or you, you know, you might hit all of your hundred yard shots to, to 30 feet today, but next week you might hit them all the 10 feet. And then that average, that average is out for the course of a season. So, you know, it, you really need a big sample size to actually make an assessment of your performance too. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you, you said something that really stuck with me, you know, with trying to make a birdie. Um, you know, for me with the wedges, I always thought I, I needed to hit, I need to hit it close because I needed to make birdies with those clubs. And um, what's interesting is when you look at the strokes gain stats from 100 yards, they're, uh, it's 2.8. They, they score 2.8 from the fairway when they're 100 yards from the hole meaning they're making birdie only 20% of the time and they're mm -hmm. making par 80% of the time. And what we need to realize is these are for the best players in the world, right? You yep. and I are, are, are close, but we're not close enough to think that we should be able to live up to that level of play. No. And when we, you know, for me, I don't know if this is true for you, but the higher the handicap, the more eye-opening these stats are. And right. they might be, you know, too much to handle in this type of an environment with a, you know, a half an hour or 40 minute type conversation. But when you start to break it down for, you know, various situations, they're far more eye-opening for the higher handicap. It's almost as if they have a more skewed uh, perspective yes. of reality. And you posted something recently uh, from another podcast of the difference between a scratch golfer and a bogey golfer, uh, scratch mm -hmm. versus 18 handicapper. And I think it was that the scratch golfer made more birdies, of course, but it was as many yep. as people might think. It was only 1.8, I believe, more birdies per round. Yep. So that's 18 stroke difference from an 18 handicapper to a scratch scratch only 1.8 of those 18 shots was because of more birdies. Yeah. And so that goes to show that maybe it's not about trying to hit the ball closer and making more birdies. 
the objective of improvement might be to eliminate some of the misses. I, I always recall, you know, the old adage that says, it's not how good our good shots are. It's how, how good our yep. bad shots are. And we need to make our bad shots better. We need to become more consistent. We need to make sure that our dispersions are getting smaller. We're looking to eliminate, yeah, I said eliminate penalty strokes. There, there's no need for right. through right. proper course strategy. We can basically come close or, or if not eliminate penalty strokes. That's just an unforced error. Right. And so, you know, I, I just found that quite interesting to, to see the, you know, the difference between a scratch golfer and an 18 handicap is, is not about making more birdies. It's far more important to eliminate the doubles, the triples, the penalty strokes, and obviously the bogeys. Yes, exactly. And where do we see a lot of those bogeys start to happen, right? Both of us working with players, most players in my experience, if you kind of get yourself up into that 15, 18 handicap range, you can get the ball up around the green in about two and a half to three shots on average. Okay. The rest of those four to sometimes five strokes on that hole comes from kind of 50 yards and in, would you agree that that that's pretty common? I mean, off the tee box, you know, we can eliminate certain sides of the golf course by aiming far enough away from them. But once you're up and around the green, I actually see the majority of the strokes coming from that 50 yards and in range. Absolutely. I think a lot of players should be able to get near the green in regulation to where all they need to do is chip on and two putt for a bogey. And if yep. we could tidy up a little bit of that short game, we were, we're going to, to make a few more pars than we would bogeys. Um, it's interesting. I always like to, uh, there's a hole at, at Red Hawk. Uh, number three, it's that long par three with water. It's a very difficult hole. And even yeah, for scratch. What, like 240 yards? Yeah, it's 250 yards, um, water right, two bunkers, on one on either side of the green, usually windy. It's a very difficult hole, but it has a very wide fairway for a par three. And right. these course architects, you know, they're smarter than we know. I think that that fairway is designed for a bailout area. I recommend yep. to scratch golfers to miss the green on that hole intentionally. Yep. I, I recommend that they aim to the left side of the very left side of the green and, and play kind of towards the front edge to where they're going to miss the green a good portion of the time, maybe 50% or, 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 or even, even more. They're going to miss that green quite often. And then try to get up and down from there. Um, if they're 20 to 30 yards out, I think that would be a good place to, to hone in on their game. Um, a tour player is going to get up and down about 50% of the time. Right. And so if we can do that, let's just say, use that for, for statistical purposes, that would leave us walking off of that very difficult hole with either a par or a bogey but it would eliminate the doubles and triples that a lot of scratch golfers do get on that hole because of its difficulty. Yep. And that's a great example of early in the round. I think that's a, that hole is tough because it's early in the round. Now, if you walk out of there with a par, you've got, you feel like you've got the world ahead of you because there's some, you know, there's a par five coming and there's a, you know, a, a decently easy par four coming. Um, but if you walk off of that hole with a triple, you are feeling like you got to press to make, you know, to get those three shots back or those two shots back. And you're completely, you know, it takes you completely out of the moment. It completely takes you out of the present. You feel like you have to, you know, make a handful of birdies just to get back to neutral. And that's a course architect. And, and that's somebody almost daring you to say, okay, how's this round going to go for you? Where's your mind at? Are you going to be patient and play this hole the way it's meant to be played? Or are you going to try to force the issue? And, you know, yeah, if you make a birdie, you've probably gained almost two shots on the field in that one hole. You know, the average on that hole has got to be playing four, almost four and a half uh, from the 250-yard box. I mean, easy. Uh, so you're gaining two, two and a half shots on the field. Yeah, that would be unreal. There's probably no hole 
on a golf course where you're going to make that big of a dent against the field, but you could also, you know, walk out of there with a massive score and have your whole round uh, kind of start to spiral. So like you said, if you played a 20 to 30 yards from the green on average, the proximity from 20 to 30 yards from the green for a tour pro from the fairway, they chip it to 10 feet on average. So that means they're also chipping it to 15 and 20 feet, which, you know, is, is a perfectly average result, right? There's nothing wrong with that. It is the, you know, it's, it just is what it is. So if you chipped it to 15, 20 feet, that would be a great shot. You might make a few of those putts. You might not, but you're never going to make worse than four. And you're probably going to make some threes depending on where the hole is. And on average, you're going to be beating the crap out of the field uh, based on, you know, how you play that hole over the course of a season. Right. Um, I think back to, you know, my time on the golf team and qualifying and playing that hole. If I had played that hole in four shots on average, I think I would have been absolutely demolishing everybody on the team, like not even close. I know that now, but I didn't know that then. Uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's hard to know that, you know, if you don't know the information that it's hard to make the right decision. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's a, that's a great example. And just an example of knowing, knowing what to expect from 250 yards on a par three, what the average score is, how many, how many shots it takes on average for a tour pro to get in the hole from that distance on tour, that hole is going to play well over par. We know that. So for a college golfer, that hole is going to play crazy amounts over par. So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about expectation management. You know, what, what is a good score on a hole like that? If you don't know and you think, oh, well, it says three on the card. I should probably try to make a three here. I got to make par. Then, uh, then you're going to be trying to hit some shots that are, you know, you're just not going to be capable of. Absolutely. Yeah. From 250 yards on the tour, it's 3.52 to, to hole out. So they're making par half the time and bogey half the time. Um, you know, for that hole in particular, adding the water, it's got to bring that scoring average up. Um, I, I don't know the date, maybe 1958 or so, something in those years. Uh, Billy Casper won the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, and he laid up on the par three four times out of four. And I believe he got up and down on all four of them and, and made par and went on to win the U.S. Open. And, you know, it, it goes to show that, you know, these strategies are very, very helpful for the most elite of golfers, but I think they're even more valuable for the more recreational golfer. I mean, they're the ones that yep. are going to be making the biggest of mistakes for one. And then they're going to be the ones that are going to have the most difficulty recovering from, you know, bad situations. And so let's just try to avoid those altogether. I think it'd yeah. be interesting for a golfer to go out and, um, play around the golf and, and maybe intentionally miss the green on each of the holes, but miss yep. it in a, in a smart place, miss it um, towards the, the short side of the fairway, maybe uh, towards the fairway, short of the green, or maybe fat sided relative to the pin, meaning they're leaving themselves um, the most green to work with. Um, we would hate for that player to, to miss short sided where they have very little green to work with, but um, you know, just different ways of playing different ways of practicing could, totally lead to some great improvements. You know what I also think would be a really interesting experiment that I wanted to do um, this next summer as I kind of start to gather some students for a, a kind of a player development program is to go out kind of at maybe five, six at night in the summer and go out ahead of time and pull all the flag sticks for nine holes and just have people play to the, play to the green not knowing where the flag is located and therefore their eye is going to be just more naturally attracted to the middle of the green, right? If you don't have that flag pulling at your attention, um, you're going to be more apt to hit towards the middle of the green. Now we know with shot dispersions, you're not actually probably going to hit where you're aimed most of the time. But I think a lot of times you get up there and you realize that you hit it close to the whole location without realizing it uh, because you didn't know where it was. But, but with that middle of the green as your target, the green is essentially going to catch like a catcher's mitt's going to catch uh, more of a higher percentage of your shots, which is going to leave you with more birdie looks, but also just more, you know, more opportunities to putt uh, versus chipping, like you said, from short sided. So, you know, I'm curious to run that experience, you know, that kind of experiment and just see what that does to people's mindset and what that does to the score uh, for most people versus just kind of looking at the flag, you know, using their range finder to find the distance of the flag and that kind of be the extent of their, of their pre-shot routine process. Um, just a few more key things that I think most people are absolutely insane when it comes to 
how, you know, their expectations for their putting performance. Um, a couple of really, really eye-opening stats for me that helped my uh, settle me down on the greens was this putts made per event statistic. So on the PGA Tour for, uh, for the 2021 season this past year, uh, over 20 feet from the hole, they averaged making only 1.2 putts per event. So that means four rounds. They played a four-round event. They only made 1.2 putts over 20 feet. So let that sink in that they only made, we'll call it one putt, you know, 1.2, we'll just take that. They only made one putt from over 20 feet for a four foot event. And most amateurs are freaking out if they go an entire round without making a putt of over 10 feet. Um, and, you know, in fact, from, from over 10 feet uh, per event, they only made 4.7 putts over 10 feet. The best players in the world on the best putting surfaces, on the best greens, the most uniform putting surfaces, with the best balls, the best equipment, putting four hours a day practice, they only made 4.7 putts over 10 feet per event. Um, what what do you think that would do mentally for for your average golfer standing over a 20 foot putt? Where what might they focus on instead versus trying to make it? I think that they might focus on speed control, you know, getting it close to putting, moving on. I think it would allow them to be more patient, maybe more present. Um, I think they'd be more at ease. They'd enjoy the game better. I mean, there's nothing negative about it. You know, sometimes I hear players consider this as a, as lowering of one's expectations. And I don't want anyone to be confused that we're to lower our expectations. What we're looking to do is to make our expectations more realistic. Mm -hmm. You're stating the facts. This is, this is factual information based on the PGA Tour. The very yep. best players playing on the very best golf courses. Um, yes, their, their whole locations are difficult. Uh, yes, there are, there's a lot of pressure. Um, but, um, you know, a, a, a 10 or a 20 handicapper shouldn't even expect anything close to what we're, what we're talking about, what a tour player is capable of. To me personally, I'd find it interesting to have more of the data of the average golfer. I just personally haven't sought that out as much. But um, even so, for a for an average golfer, looking at these stats, it's still extremely eye-opening to realize that we don't need to make very many putts to, to play well. No. No, and I think even from 10 to 15 feet, the goal should be to two putt. The goal should be to get the speed right. You know, if the best in the world are only making 4.7 putts for four rounds, we're not talking about one round here. We're talking about for four rounds. You know, they might not miss a 10 footer for the first two rounds and then they might miss all their 10 footers and then it averages out. And again, this is for an entire season. I think too many people take a short term, a, a, you know, a short term snapshot of their performance and go, I suck at putting or I suck at this. And they don't they don't have a big enough sample size of six to nine months or 12 months to say. Oh, this is what I did for a year. Okay. Let's see if we can do better for next year. You know, not, not better for next round, but for next year as a, as a whole. Um, and so, like you said, I think that's really important. We're not saying, Hey, you shouldn't expect to go out and play well or to have, or to, you know, improve your performance, but just don't get irate and don't let your mind spiral. If you, if you don't make any 20 footers for a week straight, because you probably won't. And if you do, you know, you might shoot some of your better scores if you've got, if they start falling in, because at some point they will, because the averages will become the average. But if you go a long streak without making a 20 footer, it's not like you need to reinvent the wheel, get a new putter or, you know, try a claw grip or, you know, switch your, you know, switch your stance with, you don't need to do any of that stuff. You just need to keep going, you know? And I think so many people just completely blow up the whole system because they, they go a couple rounds without making any 10 footers. When in reality, that's just, that's just golf, man. You, you play enough golf and, and you're going to go through streaks where you don't make any putts and you're going to go through streaks where you're making all your putts. And you just, you know, look at, look at tiger over the court, you know, you never switch putters, never switch putter grips, never any of that. You know, that, that to me is huge. Look at, you know, so many golfers switching putters, switching grips, switching stands, switching coaches. Um, but look at the greatest to ever do it stuck with the same putter, same stance with same grip same ping grip, pistol grip the entire time. I mean, something to be learned from that. Um, so, 
you know, let's, let's, let's kind of move on now to, to talking about, okay, so what, what should our expectations be on a golf course? Like if you were to step right now, Henry, if you were going to go play around a golf, what would your expectations of yourself be for the round? It's a great question. Um, like a lot of people, I'm, I'm not playing a whole lot of golf right now. I'm playing maybe if I'm lucky once a week, but I know it's not that often, maybe once every other week. Um, not doing much practice, if any. Um, and so my game's not sharp, just like most, most players. And so if I were to go tee it up this afternoon, my expectations would first and foremost is to enjoy the round. That would be my number one focus, would be to enjoy the round, enjoy the people that I'm with, enjoy the time away from the office and, 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 and spend four or so hours um, with a group of friends. Um, when it comes to playing the game, I would be expecting myself to pick good targets, to mm -hmm. have good course management, yep. um, to go through my pre-shot routine, to stay committed to my shots, to um, to play one shot at a time, not moving too far forward or backwards, right? Staying present. Um, I would expect myself to uh, have short-term memory, uh, not trying yep. to, uh, you know, hash on bad shots or bad holes. Those are to be expected. I should expect to hit some, some squirrely shots and holes because I haven't played a whole lot recently. Um, right. And so being prepared as to how we'll respond to those, I think is really valuable. What about you? What would you do? Yeah, I think, well, first off, I think a lot of things you said there really make a lot of sense. You know, Ben Hogan famously kind of talked about, you know, he expected to hit a lot of bad shots during the round. He expected about four to five shots to be exactly the way he envisioned them in his mind before he swung and for them, you know, for the ball flight to be exactly the way he thought of it. And that's some people will, will really argue that he was the best ball striker to ever live. And this is somebody who said he only expected to hit maybe four or five shots exactly the way he wanted them. And I, you know, basically, basically my expectations, if I go tee it up right now, are I echo a lot of what you said. I expect to to pick strategically smart targets that give me the biggest uh, area to land my golf ball in off the tee. Um, I expect to commit to my target and swing freely and let the ball go to that target. Um, if I try to guide the ball to the target, I don't ever hit it as good as I if I just let the ball go to the target and stay committed to that target. So I expect to do that. You know, I expect to go find my ball and assess the lie, assess the situation, um, assess all of that for what it is in the moment. I expect to do that. And then I expect to basically rinse and repeat that process until I run out of holes. Um, I've come a long way in understanding that I don't, I don't ever do well if I try to assess my performance mid-round. I just work my process the process that I know is going to help me to uh, stay in the present and to execute my best free flowing swings in the moment until I run out of holes. And then I'll go back and punch the numbers in uh, and, and see kind of what I did well and, and what I could improve on uh, after the rounds time. So something that's, that's also helped me as a tournament player um, and for any tournament players that are listening is understanding that, you know, and you've ha you've often had to remind me of this over the years is, you know, I, I want to win tournaments, right? I want to win. I want to, I want to hold the trophy. And then, you know, you often say, well, well, how often do you think you, you should be doing that? And I don't, you know, I didn't really have a solid answer uh, until I went and looked at some of the best players throughout time. And you start to realize that in golf, you don't really ever hold that trophy very often. Um, you know, Phil Mickelson holds the trophy 3% of the time that he plays golf. You know, he's only won 3% of the events he's ever played in. Uh, Tiger Woods is the best with, uh, you know, on the PGA Tour, at least with, you know, around 22%, you know, winning two out of 10, 10 events, which is just unheard of. Uh, Rory's down there around 10%. Um, you know, Jack is at 12.5%. So 
I mean, these are, you know, how often should I really be expecting to hold the trophy? You know, you, you hold the trophy 3% of the time you're in the hall of fame. And so, you know, just, just recalibrating, Hey, wh what, what should we try to do during a round of golf? It's, it's uh, it's way more process focused than it should ever be results focused. You know, the process of enjoying the day, the process of enjoying the people you're with the process of executing a shot and, and assessing the yardage, you know, getting more joy out of getting every, getting all the variables, right. Assessing the lie, assessing the wind, assessing um, where your skill is at that day, I think should derive more joy than where the ball actually goes and, and what score you shoot. I love that. I think I'd like to add one thing that I'd also uh, think for me personally is really important is detachment. Mm -hmm. uh, detaching from the outcome of shots. I think that when we're focusing on the outcome of the shots, where the ball might go, um, we get tense and we don't swing as freely as we could. So focusing on the outcome uh, would be the opposite of process orientation uh, on, on a given shot. The same goes for, for the results of the, of the holes or the rounds. I mean, if we're focusing on our score, um, we're going to be very uh, frustrated in, in, in any missed shot that we might play throughout that round. Um, and for me personally, it's a, it's, it comes down to the self-image, right? I think that partly golf is naturally causing a person to identify the themselves as, as a human being with their golf rounds. And so um, I, I try, I work every day on, on not doing that, on getting away from uh, the idea that I'm a, a good person when I play well, everybody's, you know, celebrating the round. They're, they're, they're celebrating the round. They're not celebrating the person. And, right. and, and then the same way on a, on a bad round when there isn't the celebration, right? That they're, they're celebrating the score, the game, the, the playing ability, but that is distant from the actual human who is playing the game. So um, for me, detachment is also very helpful. It's just a different way of, of focusing on the, on the process rather than on the, on the result. And I think an important thing for a lot of people to understand listening to this is Henry and I didn't flip this switch overnight and have these enlightening moments of enlightenment and now we're you know in a different mind space that allows us to play our best golf this is this is an ongoing process of reading books uh listening to sports psychologists uh, reflecting upon our own experiences journaling um, taking information in and being able to sort it out and filter it out and and sit back and go did i you know did i hit that shot with total freedom and detachment from the outcome or did i was I, did I want the results so bad? And that's why I guided it over towards the bunker or guided it away from the water when I could have just, you know, swung freely. All of those things we're still working on and we'll never stop working on. And, and we're, you know, we're in year 10, 15 of doing this. Um, and it couldn't feel like, Oh, well, I'm never going to reach that type of epiphany moment. Like these guys have, well, you got to start somewhere and you got to start doing little thought experiments and, and keeping your stats and comparing those stats to, to better golfers and, and, and starting to change your mindset on the golf course. It's not an overnight thing. This has been years and years and years in the making. And, and we're just trying to make sure that, that you know where to turn for resources. And I think one of the best resources that I've ever found is, you know, Scott Fawcett's decade golf, you know, course management system. You can find info on YouTube or on his app or on his website. Um, and also just the PGA tour website, just go look at, they have hundreds of statistics from every year dating back decades on proximity to the hole from certain yardages, putts made from certain feet, uh, greens and regulation hit from certain places and just go see, you know, go, go find your favorite player and just go see what he's done year after year, what she's done year after year. And you're going to be pretty surprised. Yes, these people are, are, are elite athletes, but they don't perform to the standard that we hold them to in our mind. And a lot of times that can be, uh, can be a big weight off the shoulders. Yeah, you made a couple of really good comments there. Uh, you know, this is an ongoing process. I, I'm just as guilty of it as anybody. I still struggle with this on a daily basis. Um, 
I've been working at it and I've been that swing 60 program has been something that I've derived to help me with it. And, um, you know, I, I've actually seen some progress since doing so. And I had four PGM tournaments in a row where I had a blast playing. It was the first time that I enjoyed playing golf in a few years. I'd been kind of in this downward spiral. And then, um, Immediately after those four successful rounds, I went and played in a, a PGA section event and I didn't have the same level of enjoyment. I think that there was just a little bit more to play for. I wanted to perform better. And so those expectations caused me to play worse and, and, and not enjoy myself as much. So that was a, a bit of a setback, but it, it makes me think of what you just said about following one player, maybe your favorite player for a season and seeing what they do. You know, I, I, last year I did a little study of the top 10 players in the world and looked at their scoring differential throughout the round, their their mm -hmm. highest versus their lowest rounds. And, um, on average, the top 10 players in the world had a scoring differential of 14. So their highest versus their lowest was 14 strokes difference. And, and there were a couple of players who had 17 and 18 strokes difference between their high and low rounds. Those players were Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka. And when you look at that, it goes to show the, the very uh, inconsistent nature of the game. That you know, the golf course is a living organism. It's changing from day to day. The, the elements are changing. We feel different. And so mm -hmm. I shouldn't expect to be as consistent as maybe I might have thought of, of, of scoring within five or six strokes. I'm going to definitely be on the 15 to 20 stroke differential. So I can't get upset about scoring poorly on one day when the round before I had played really well. Exactly. And that's such a good point when we hear this all the time where people want consistency, you know, as if to expect that they're going to shoot the same score within two or three strokes every time they tee it up. And we're different people every day. We have different aches and pains. We have different mindsets. We're, we're more, we're more mentally uh, there some days. We're, we're more mentally checked out other days. It would be superhuman, you know, unimaginable to be in the right headspace every time you tee it up and to expect those, those score differentials to be within a couple shots here or there every time you're just looking to get yourself into a mindset where you're so tense. You're almost waiting for the bad shots to happen. You're almost waiting to react uh, versus kind of pr being proactive and, and understanding the, the right process for you to hit the best shots more often. And, and just, you know, if I, if I can stress one thing, it's just look at your stats for the course of a season, not one round, not one week, not two weeks, not a month, but for, for 12 months, uh, if you get to play golf for 12 months, even if you get to play golf for six months, look at your stats for those six months and see what happened versus, you know, kind of having those knee jerk reactions for, for one round or one tournament and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and you're going to see a much different picture and you're going to see yourself in a much different light uh, when you look at yourself over the course of a year and, and judge yourself that way. And then put together a plan to, to slowly pick away and chip away at some of the, the areas that that maybe are holding you back and and again do the same process for next year and see if you did lower or, or improve some certain areas you know for that for that year and and as long as you work the process that you've put in place to improve those areas then you reflect after the year and you go this did or this didn't work uh, I need to iterate on that or I need to keep that and change that and that's how you go about it um, you know try not to become so so like I said knee-jerk about certain things. Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, a person has to recognize what their expectations are, um, looking at the stats on the PGA Tour and, and, and maybe making their expectations a little bit more realistic, um, maybe deducing back from those tour stats to what's more reasonable for a person of a various handicap. And then, uh, you know, being able to measure their success, having a better a checklist of goals as to what might be of value for, for them to enjoy the game and to play the game to the best of their ability. Um, at the end of the day, there's some great ways of keeping stats. Like you said, there's some free apps out there 
um, decades fantastic uh, some good videos on youtube i think that you and i both produce similar type content on this on, on, on instagram so there shouldn't be any excuse for why a person might not go down that route and, and explore their expectation management um, become more realistic and then have more fun and play the game better Exactly. And this is such a good thing to do if you're in a climate where there's winter approaching and you're not going to be able to get to the golf course. It's a great place to great time to kind of remove yourself from the golf course and from playing the game and just sit back and kind of compile a list of things that that you need to get better at. And also going and looking on the PGATour.com website and just seeing, okay, I want to get better at, at hitting the green from this from this distance. Okay, well, let's set a good benchmark for myself. You know, if, if the pros are hitting this percentage of the green, let's come up with a realistic number. So let's find that number. And then let's put together a plan for going to the range once a week. And, you know, how am I going to improve hitting the green from 150 yards, right? How am I going to improve my center face contact, my square face contact in, in my swing direction? You know, how am I going to prove that if I can have a practice plan that improves those things every time I go to the range, uh, then let's take it next season and, and see if that increases that number. And then we'll just do it again and do it again and do it again. Um, and that's how you get better. It's, it's, a, it's a marathon and not a sprint. So um, I think that's a good place to, to sign off there, Pro. I think that's plenty, plenty for people to digest. And uh, hey, as always, if you're listening to this and you have questions, feel free to reach out to Henry or I on Instagram. Drop us a DM. Uh, we answer all of our direct messages and, and are just happy to help other people get better. So uh, if you want more information or just have a, have a question about something we talk about, always feel free to, to drop a line there in the, in the messages on Instagram at Keith Bennett golf at Henry Statina golf. And, uh, and we'll get back to you. Yeah. And feel free to send us some topics to which you want us to talk about in the next episode. I think that we'd always love to hear from the viewer and, and to uh, know what, what's really interesting to you so that we can provide you all the details here on the podcast. Yep. We're just here to help you play better golf. So if you got something we want us to discuss, let us know. Keith, take care, buddy. Have a good one. All right, Henry. We'll touch base. See ya.